Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News preview show. In this episode, of course, we're going to be looking in depth at the Lyon-Juventus match and all the action that took place as well as the potential fallout. After that, we have a number of the weekend's Ligue 1 matches to mull over, including a very big derby in the Rhone Valley. I'm your host, Lewis McParlin, and today I'm joined, as ever, by a slightly happier Mr. Thomas Wiseman following Andre's <laughs> 1-0 win last week. So, I've got a little story about that kind of game and some other stuff that I was looking up this week. So, the scorer in that game was Mr. Stephen Bahokan, formerly of Strasbourg and Nice, but also St Mirren in days gone by. And I was reading up about his time in Scotland, and it's quite the story. So, just for reference, this is when St Mirren were in the top league back Oh no, it would have been the Scottish Premiership at that point. Um, so, while at Nice, he was loaned out to the Buddies, aged 21, but only made five appearances after he apparently had a bad attitude and even described himself as a spoilt kid. And that's a quote, by the way. He cancelled the loan deal in December and was then loaned out again to Bastia, but due to not being able to play for three clubs in one season, returned to St Mirren with the full support of Buddy's manager, Danny Lennon, who said he showed great desire and had a positive attitude. Despite this, he didn't make a single appearance for the rest of the season. <laughs> but, Thomas, this wasn't the Bahokan that played the other day, was it? Has he scored the much-needed winner, didn't he? Yeah, he, he just come on, actually. It was only about a minute and 10 seconds afterwards. And there was a funny um, exchange between the fourth official and, and Moulin, just as the goal went in. I think the fourth official said to him something like, um, so that's that's how you manage. And then he, Moulin just looked at him and said, yeah, it was lucky. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a, it was um, a much-needed goal and much-needed three points for, for Angers. And it's good to see Barkin back on the, back on the score sheet because he's had some problems with injuries this year. Yeah, I actually quite like Balogun. I thought he was good when he was at Strasbourg. Um, I remember I was chatting to my pal, who's a St. Midden fan, actually, and uh, I was just, I don't know, we got into conversation, we were talking about French football or something, and he was like, do you, do you remember that guy who used to play for us, Stefan Balogun, what's he doing now? And I was like, oh, he's playing, I think he was still at Strasbourg at that point. And uh, he was just like, oh, I, I can't swear on this podcast, but he described how good he was for them, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> never got to see him in the flesh, never got to see him in the flesh. I never played Hamilton, though. Uh, I also have Mr. Jake Smales on the show for the first time in quite a while. Now, if you don't know Jake, he's a big Chelsea fan. And because of that, I want you to describe in fine detail to us all the fantastic performance and goals that Serge Gnabry showcased on Tuesday night, Mr. Smales. He just loves playing in London, doesn't he? (laughs) Yeah, it was was a pretty terrible viewing, really. I thought... um, Bayern were very, very ruthless and did exactly what they needed to do. So, yeah, I'd rather not dwell on it, to be honest, but <laughs> a wake-up a wake up call for our supposed young team. My third and final guest is Mr Jeremy Smith. And a little birdie was telling me, and it's a little birdie in the form of us talking on Twitter earlier, saying that this is the second podcast of the night for you. Mr Smith, you're becoming quite the guest, aren't you? Well, it would have been, but I left work too late for the first one, so <laughs> it's actually my first. Oh, so you can make room for us that well. I appreciate it. Well, at least I might be repeating myself. <laughs> Let's head into the biggest game of the episode. It's the one you are all expecting, and this was 
The Champions League fixture played on Wednesday between Lyon and Juventus. So Juventus went into this game, you know, I'm pretty sure they're top of Serie A at the moment. Pretty confident, scoring goals, got all the fantastic players that you would imagine, guys at the top of their game like Dybala and Higuain and Ronaldo. And then a slightly stubbly Lucas Toussaint turned up and whapped home a goal <laughs> to beat the old lady 1-0. Jake, what a win for Leon. No one expected that, did they? No, they didn't. I think there was a lot of expectation on Juventus going into the game. Um, uh, not only because of their prestige and their experience, but also because of obviously the goings on at Lyon at the moment. You know, so the form table would suggest um, would suggest uh, would have well was dramatically in favour of Juventus. But Juventus have actually been a bit kind of shaky as of late. They've been scraping through games, and Maurizio Sarri's been coming out and making some of the kind of comments that he was making last season about being unable to to transfer his ideas to to the players. So I don't think it was ever going to be a, a complete hammering. But that being said, we're all aware of Rudy Garcia's previous shortcomings in the Champions League, and especially in these kind of matches where very often his teams are beaten comprehensively. So, uh, so yeah, it, I'm not sure anyone expected what to happen. And for, for Luca Tuzart to be the, the unlikely hero, you know, considering that a lot of Lyon fans seem to seem to be quite happy that they've managed to offload him and especially for the fee that they have it's uh it was a unbelievable um an unbelievable performance an unbelievable match and i think huge credit needs to go to to rudy garcia and to his players for for that performance yeah i have to say that the, the five minutes before the goal went in i was just talking to my girlfriend about it and i was saying oh look at Tusa, what a crap player honestly and i was telling him about the you know the gamiris <laughs> deal and how he was leaving the summer and i was like how dumb is it kakari's not starting why are they starting to start what the hell's going on and then Husam Arwar just dribbles down the left pokes it to the front post and Tusa smashes it in and i had to shut up for the next 45 minutes pretty much um but jeremy smith Leon went into this game, you know, with a 1-1 draw against Strasbourg and an extremely one of the most unconvincing wins I've ever seen uh, over Mets, a 2-0 win. But they managed to beat Juventus and, and pull out a really solid performance. Where where the hell did that come from? Yeah, I'm a little bit torn about this because um, Lyon are my second team in France. I mean, I lived there for a year, but Mets my first, and and it was a disgraceful refereeing performance that helped me out the weekend. <laughs> um, so I was a little bit begrudging coming into this match, but I, I mean, part of me wants to say I've got no idea where this performance came from. The other part wants to say, on paper, it's still a reasonably decent team, um, and this is just it's classic Lyon. I mean, usually they they kind of underperform against the lesser in league ad, they underperform against the lesser teams and then overperform against the big ones. It feels like they've sort of gone meta this year and decided to <laughs> underperform during the whole lesser competition and then sort of overperforming the bigger one. Um obviously there's a second leg to go and, and um you know last last year they got a good result at home to Barcelona and then and then were outplayed in the second so we'll have to wait and see. But when you look at what they've been doing this season or what they haven't been doing this season. This was just out of nowhere. And um, I think it you have to give Garcia credit for, for the way he set the team up, the formation. But that midfield, um, you know, I agree. It's, it's a pity that, that Kakare wasn't in there. And 
now you know there's a, there's a concern he might struggle to get back in the team again but that midfield they just the three of them complemented each other perfectly and and Gimmerish, it's only a second match for Lyon I I was going to say I assume he's not entirely match fit I mean he has come straight from an Olympic qualifying tournament so that that might be untrue but you know certainly playing in in a team he's unaccustomed to to playing in for him to slot in that well and um you know the way they interchange sort of Tussar and Gimmerish taking turns to to sit back and then um Tussar actually I saw some stats today that, that said that Tussar was that his average position was actually the furthest forward of the three so sort of the three of them really allowing each other to to yeah sit back be the kind of um box to box or be the attacker and and the the, the combination of Aouar and, and Tussar obviously with the goal they they just look fantastic and if which is obviously a massive if for anyone, but particularly for Lyon, if they can maintain that kind of understanding for the rest of the season, then they could yet still finish third. Yeah, and Thomas, a lot has been talked about the midfield three. I know we've talked about it to death, to be honest. You know, do you put Tussar in? Where does Awar play? Do you get Thiago Mendes in? What, this new boy Kakari? But it all just seemed to click here, and a lot of that was through the new boy, Bruno Gomares, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, he was he was the best player on the pitch um, for Lille, in my opinion, and he just it was. I mean, a lot a lot of the time Leon's play out um, under pressure, and him and Auer especially were were sort of at ease, just playing passes between each other and, and through the uh, the the UVA pressure. And you could I remember a couple of times where there was one time when he flicked it over Quadrado's head, and he just looked really really composed, um, and he was willing to you know get stuck in and break break play apart um and it looks like a, a really really good good sign for leon um and it's interesting to see you know when Tuzov does move on obviously like jess says he was he was pretty high up the pitch um we usually not expect that from him um and something when you know somebody like uh, adelaide's back he's going to be loving gary Maresh behind him um because he, he it, you know it was, it was a two start we don't really see very often. He's usually the, the player in Gimmarish's position. Um, but obviously, you know, he got that goal. It was a bit of a um, strange finish, but, uh, you know, it went in the, <laughs> went in the net, so he'll, he'll take it for sure. Aye, and do you think it was a do you think it was a deserved one, Thomas? You know, do you think, are we overreacting just because of the final scoreline? I know that um, Juventus had a lot of, like, penalty shouts and whatnot, and they had a very good team, but do you think Leon? One, because of a little bit of jiggly-pokery, a little bit of, of luck here and there. You know, it's not as if they scored through one of their strikers. It was kind of a little bit of a sloppy goal, like you said, with the finish, and mm-hmm. Juventus had their chances. Would you think it was a full-deserved win or and the type of performance that they could carry in to Turin in a couple of weeks' time? Yeah, I think that... I, I, don't, I don't see... There, was, there wasn't really much danger from Juventus until the final 20, 15 minutes. And they didn't even have a shot on target, which is pretty, pretty tough going from them. And even like the, I mean, Marcelo, even though he's been criticised in the past, he had a good game. Even Marcel, um, as a sort of a makeshift centre back, was very good. And, and Leon, you know, that them the first stage of the game, they were the better, better side, uh, and they deserved that that goal for sure over over Juventus. Um, the second leg will be will be a tough one. Um, but I wouldn't put it past Leon to get a, an away goal. 
maybe on a counter-attack or something like that. Because, um, you know, Leon likes to surprise you in good ways or bad. Who knows? That's the fun of it. Mm. But I guess, in some ways, Jake, some credit has to go to the main man, the, the manager, Rudy Garcia, because a lot of the time in his career, you know, at Marseille and at Leon, he's been criticised about these big matches. I know there was a, a stat floating about recently, and it was talking about his record against, like, top six opponents or something, and, and he's, how he'd hardly picked up any points and whatnot. But here's a big match where he went with a team that when you look at it on paper, if you'd looked at that back in June, you would have gone, how how the hell is this come about? Corney's playing left-back, Leo Dubois a first-choice um, full-back, Marcelo's in the team, uh, you know, Marsal's in the team. Subcredit has to go to there because it's not a first-choice 11 that, that you would have thought back at the start of the season. No Memphis Depay, no Adelaide, no um, Anderson, for instance. So some credit does have to go to the manager, Jake, yeah? It definitely does. And he, he's, you know, we've already talked about the, 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 the setup, you know, playing that kind of 3-5-2 with uh, Toko Akambi and Dembele up top. And it just worked out so well that, that I thought they looked so organised, especially in the kind of defensive phase when they, they'd really switch to a, you'd really have a solid back five and it would be very, very clear what they were trying to do. And then going forward, you know, again, with that midfield, that midfield three, especially with a, uh, with Bruno Guimaraes, you know, they were able to to really drive the ball forward and, um, you know, with, with some some really lovely, incisive, quick passing, um, um, work the ball up the pitch and, and create at the other end. And they, they the credit really should go to Rudy Garcia because he does get it wrong a lot of the time, I think, especially in, in European competitions. Again, we can look back to some of those games at Roma where he'd get, his side would lose kind of 6-7-0 to, 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 to superior opposition but but I thought he really really did do a good job Leon looked looked really hungry uh, really well organized and uh, you know it was really refreshing to see and and as Jez said as well I think we we should consider that you know on paper that is still it's still a good 11 even if it's nowhere near the level of, uh, of Juventus and nowhere near kind of the best 11 that that Leon are capable of putting out it, it it's still a good side and um and it's just um it's just it's just refreshing to see to see Leon um you know to see a game like this go well when we know that they that that can happen but it's been a while it feels like it's been a while at least since since that's happened and the other thing that we of course should give Garcia credit for is playing Bruno Guimaraes from from the start you know he's a two only two two games he's played he started both of them and he's in my opinion been man of the match in in both so so yeah, credit credit where it's due to to Rudy Garcia, and he'll be hoping I think that that could, that is the start of 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 a, a positive run of results and maybe kind of working his way gradually into the good books of the Leon supporters. Mm. And and like Jake said, there was this slightly tactical switch up with the three man defence, something that he also played against Mets and and tried to showcase there with the three four three or three five two at times. Thomas, what was different between the three-man defence and, and and that sort of formation and setup in this match compared to the one against Mets, where it just never seemed to get going? Um, I think Mets are a better really... team than Juventus. <laughs> 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 um, I, th- I think it was interesting. I mean, I've always been sceptical of a Corne as a winger, um, and when he was played as sort of like a um, a wing back in this game, I mean, he, apart from one or two you know, not uh, lapses in concentration. Um, he was really impressive. And the, the, the 
the fullbacks were quite um, really high actually, and they were, they were um, sort of a threat um, to Juventus, and it was it was keeping them really from, um, from pushing too too far forward. Um, it was just interesting to see um, how it, it did actually work this time, and obviously you had it was sort of like a a three one uh, three I'm trying to count now three one four two um, with Gimmerish sort of covering the 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 back line and and you know credit to him it, it did work um it, we, don't, we don't give Rudy Garcia too much credit on this on this uh, podcast but uh fair play to him <laughs> he got he got the setup um pretty spot on so now when you look at this match in the grand scheme of things obviously they're not through to the next round yet you know they're still a long way away from the final or anything like that and then the, the dizzying heights that you can get to in this competition for Rudy Garcia, for Aulas, for Janino, for the head honchos at the club, where do you put your eggs? What basket do you, do you put them in, Jeremy? Do you do you try and get something fantastic out of this competition and you know really reinvigorate the club after this difficult season, or do you have to go? Yep, the Juventus win was good, but at the end of the day, we need to focus on the league because we need to get back into the Champions League next season. How how do you think they should approach it? I know they they. Obviously, missing a couple of extremely important players in um, the pie and, and Adelaide, but they brought people in in January. They made some good signings to, to kind of cover for them. And as far as I'm concerned, I, I don't like, I don't particularly like it when any top club kind of chooses one competition over another. These days, like most top clubs in most leagues have got two strong teams in their squad. And I, I feel like Lyon could, there's no reason why they need to make any sort of choices about which which competitions are a priority for now. They're still in both cup competitions. They're still, they're in trouble in the league, but I mean, obviously not relegation trouble, but in trouble in terms of top three, but I still think they're capable. They should be capable of making it. Um, you know, no one's form above them is, is that um, consistent. And Lyon still on paper are, I think, the second best team in France. Um, and the Juventus one, I think is, I mean, when, I think when the draw was made, it was, you could say it was kind of a, a free shot because they certainly were um, overwhelming underdogs um, when the draw was made. Um, now, I think probably they're still underdogs. You'd probably still expect Juventus to to be capable of a, of a sort of two-goal win. But um, I think, this result is great. The momentum that they should try to get off this result is is a real positive. And then when it comes to the second leg, just kind of treat it a little bit like this one. It's it's still they're still going into it as the underdog. If they get something out of it, it's a bonus. Um, but I, I I really think there's no reason why Leon, the squad they've got, can't take um, every competition they're still in seriously. No, Jake, I don't want to say something too controversial to annoy the, the the PSG fans we all know but do you think this was a bigger test than PSG travelling to Dortmund you know going against the champions of Italy you know or, I don't know I'm trying to exactly phrase this but do you know what I mean do you think it was almost like a more impressive task if they get past this or if they, they slap Juventus as opposed to PSG like Lyon must be the most more impressive um, uh, candidate for France at the moment with this result yeah, I think it's a more impressive for Leon to go through advance through this tie would be a more impressive feat than PSG 
to advance through that Dortmund tie. I mean, the Dortmund obviously are an entirely different proposition in that they're such a kind of um, dynamic, brutal, vibrant young team that can really, really do you a lot of damage very quickly. Whereas this Maurizio Sarri Juventus side are kind of quite patient and will pass the ball a lot and try to be incisive but it won't necessarily always work so each one is kind of different proposition but purely based on the caliber of course it's you know PSG were favorites going into that Dortmund tie and and Leon as as Jez has just said were were huge underdogs I think overall and and that that is still the case I think um going into the uh going into the second leg so yeah it would be a a big big achievement and a, a big scalp and you know, we'll hopefully keep the kind of farmers' league naysayers at bay for a while, regardless of the uh, the what happens in uh, uh, in Paris in a few weeks' time. No, we do have a little bit more of Leon to talk about later. You'll all be glad to know uh, because they are playing Sanetti, and we're going to come to that in just a moment. Though, just as we finish off talking about this Juventus game, I want to go through uh, each of you and, and just just dig your brains and find out how you think basically the second leg is going to go you know in Turin Juventus is going to be a massive game for them you know because the league's not wrapped up for them they've still got this to to really focus on Ronaldo's going to be there he's going to be wanting to get to the next round to really prove his worth in Turin Jeremy I'll start with you how do you honestly see the second leg going do you think Leon can do the impossible um (coughs) I don't think they'll win there but I agree with Tom. I think they're capable of, of scoring an away goal, which then makes it a bit tougher for you, because they need to score I think, three. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think Juve will win the tie, but I'm going to try to be optimistic for once and say they'll they'll get a 2-1 win and, and it will be another sort of backs to the wall ending to the match and <laughs> Lyon will valiantly get through. I'm not sure I believe a word I'm saying, but <laughs> that, that, that's what I want to happen. Thomas, are you still as positive about Ligon? I don't. I never like to be when I'm talking about Leon because they can always they can always um, put you off. Uh, but I know if we had Clinton on tonight, he'd be saying, "No, absolutely not. He is never <laughs> positive about Leon. He's always yeah, like that. Yeah. He's going to get them whacked." Um, can Garcia pull this off again? I, I don't. I don't know. Um, I, I saw a stat today that said that um, in seven matches against Juve, um, he's won three and drawn one. Okay, right. Yeah, Leon will win five mm. now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I reckon it'll be probably a... a oh, I'm the optimistic and say a, a, a two-all draw. A bit exciting. And, and Jake, how do you see one? Oh, I mean, I don't want to be the the pessimist, but I just think please be. <laughs> I just think Juventus. We don't know. You never know, as we've said a lot. You you never know what you're going to get with Leon as much as I as much as I do love them, and I just think Juventus away. You know, Ronaldo especially is going to be is going to be so fired up for that game. And how many times have we seen him drag a kind of subpar before team performance, uh, kind of take the take the squad by the scruff of the neck and drag them through a. a a second leg tie. You think like the uh, Atletico Juventus match. I think it was in the round of 16 last year. Um, so I'm going to go for a 3-1 Juventus win, um, even though, as the other guys are saying, I really, really hope that 
Garcia can can keep that record going and pull off another minor miracle. Oh, it would be it would be amazing if if Leon get through to the next stage. Imagine you had Leon and PSG, two representatives, if they both got through to the next round. But I, I'm gonna go with Jake. I'm not as positive. I don't know. I, I still think as much as Juve aren't at their blistering best like they were last year or even the year before I still think there's a better team in there than there is at Lyon I think just individually and as a collective there's better defenders midfielders and attackers over the pitch I think this is the kind of game where Lyon are going to put up a good fight but you will probably just kind of control the match after a little bit something like 2-0 UV I, I don't see them scoring in Turin I'm not going to lie um, if at home it was only at least we're considering it because before this game happened, we were basically writing this one off. <laughs> That's how it's true. You know, a ray of sunshine. I thought we'd be dissecting a 3 0 defeat here, to be honest, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this will narrowly go Juventus' way. Sorry to be. I mean, it would be sick. It would be sick, but yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with a UV win. Uh, Okay, and let's move on to some of the Ligon previews we've got to look at. Like I said, we've still got some Leon to do, as Leon have yet another massive match coming up this weekend. The derby against San Etienne. Leon will be the hosts for this one, but it's still a massive match, if not for the manager and the club, specifically for the fans. So let's look at the opponents first before we before we come back on to Leon. Following everything that's, that's happened generally this season, San Etienne sit 15th. It's not going great. Club Puel's come in. It's not really worked. A lot of guys who we thought were going to do a lot better, boo do boo for one. It's not really. It's not really. It's not really happened. Thomas, what are San Etienne's goals for this season? Just generally, how will they be wanting to play out the last few months? Is it is it just a manner of staying in the league at this point? Yeah, pretty much. How. It's, it's strange to think that it is a possibility, but ha- their form at the moment um, and the way they've been playing it, it is very, very concerning. Um, they just they just wanted to, you know, get in a, a relatively comfortable position. Um, and th- I mean, this game is pretty. I mean, it's, it's huge to be honest. Um, if they put up a good performance, maybe well, you know. Um, keeps his job, but he has. They've been dreadful. They've been dreadful, and um, I think I think maybe the last two out of three of the Sanetian managers have been sacked after this game. I'm thinking, I'm thinking Garcia was sacked after this. I'm pretty sure when Leon beat them five nil a couple of years back, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, who did they have last before Puel? Uh, Pranton. Uh, Prantham, was, was he sacked after this game? No, I think he was sacked just before. Game, uh, yeah, or maybe yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, so, it, and it, it'll be the typical thing, you know what, that Sanetian just win after Leon have come back off that Juve, Juve game. <laughs> and Sanetian just blangered, like, comes off his arse and goes <laughs> in the back of the net, something like that. Um, you know, they've been, they've been poor. Um, Kabai, he was never the most athletic player. Is you know he's showing he's showing his age. Kazri still doesn't look like he's lost the weight um, from celebrating Tunisia's fourth place at the Afcon. I'm sure he's been eating a lot, <laughs> choosing pastries. Um, and 
rough year. The situation there, I mean, in my opinion, is probably justified mm-hmm. because he's, you know, he, he has. It's probably his worst season I've ever seen him play. Um, and even just looking at the, you know, basic ex- expected goal stats, he's conceded ten more goals than he should have, um, considering the the shots quality is his face, which is actually the worst in the league. So, I mean, if, if you know, Baptist Reynard loses is having a better shot-stopping season than you, than you you've got to consider, you know, whatever, whatever choice. Um, I don't really, um, never never seen Mulan as a, as a better keeper, but at the moment, he's probably in a, in a better form or has more confidence than, than Ruffier does at the moment. Hmm. And it's the case sometimes when teams go on really poor runs and, you know, it, it shows that they're just not doing it on the pitch and, and you know, they're, they're not showing the quality that they could show. At some point, there's a there's a turning point and it's almost as if they're playing with that confidence and it's, it's the mental side of it. And I think that kind of showed against Ramps at the weekend, um, Jeremy, a 1-1 draw. They were winning going into the 94th minute. And then Yadav is like, oh, no, this isn't right and just... Gives uh, gives Ramps a penalty, which Bulladia slotted away really well. You have to say that can't be good for the, for the mental side of the players, can it? If you're always just consistently having these awfully heartbreaking results in a season that's not even going well, Jeremy, that's just going to beat you down, isn't it? So it almost makes it a much more difficult situation to try and rectify, isn't it? Yeah, I mean that one's going to really hurt because Ramps are a good team, but. On paper, I suppose Marseille are going to look at uh, Saint Etienne are going to look at that and say that um, you know it's probably there as close to um, a potentially comfortable win as as they've had for for a few weeks now. And um, yeah, to go into sort of the last couple of minutes, a, a goal up, and it's not like it was you know if it was some kind of thirty yard worldy or. Again, uh, uh, you know, something that bimbles in off someone's arse. You can then you can be really annoyed and just say that's bad luck. I sp- well, I suppose there's two ways of looking at it. That in a way that's more annoying because then you're kind of thinking, well, the, you know, the luck's really against us here. But when it's self-inflicted, um, I suppose one way of looking at it is, you know, if we cut out our own mistakes, then we've got a chance. Another way of looking at it is, you know, in Villa, <laughs> what the hell is he doing? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's to to come that close to your first win in in, in well since January, mid January, and and um, throw it away like that is is really tough, and especially considering the next match is so big. Um, you know, if they lose this because of the position they're in, um, I, I don't think sort of local bragging rights are that important. If they if they can get a win, obviously. Um, it's a bonus that it's against Lyon, but at this stage, it's just important for them to get three points and climb away from from the, the bottom sort of five. And um, uh, it's difficult to see where that win's coming from. And, and um, you, as ever, you've got no idea what to expect with Lyon, but it's not. And their home form this year has been awful. But you suspect they're re- after the the match this week, unless they're a little bit emotionally drained. Um, they should be well up for this. The crowd should be well up for this. And I think Saint-Etienne are going to struggle. And the the big problem with them is even when they are keeping it tight at the back, which they're not particularly doing recently, it's it's hard to... They, they just don't really have a, a focal point up front. Um, mm. Kazri is not in great form and for me is not a centre-forward anyway. Dionne's disappointed. Um, 
I think, you know, Berich was really popular with the fans and I know he was injury prone and I know he's not necessarily the, the really top class striker, but he was important to, to Saint-Etienne. It was a bit like sort of a few years ago when they had Brandao. He wasn't necessarily the greatest player, but he was a focal point. He was, you know, someone up, up there that, uh, you know, a decent, talented midfield could play up to and play up and, and around. Um, and I think they're really missing that. They're missing someone up there who's just capable of holding, holding onto the ball, sort of giving the opposition, the opposite centre-backs a bit of a fight, letting them know they're in a match. And they just seem a little bit of a soft touch at the moment. Mm. And Jake, with, with the situation that Saint-Etienne are in, it's all not worked out. How close are we getting to where questions are going to start getting asked of the manager, Claude Puel? Obviously, not everything's his fault. It was, all, it was already in a bit of a bit of a situation when he joined. But uh, how responsible is he for the situation that's happened? It's not as if they've bucketed into an amazing bout of form as soon as they get, as soon as Puel came and they've stuck out of this this dip, Jake. So is he responsible in a in a massive way? Should his head be on the block at some point? I think, as you said, questions are already being asked of him. And I think questions are right to be being asked of him. This is a guy who has an immense amount of, uh, of Liga experience. You know, he's done, done, done some really great work, um, you know, all the way back when with Monaco and also more recently with, uh, with Lille and then Nice. Um, and let's not forget as well how much money the club are forking out. You know, it's about I think it's about 250,000 euros gross per month that he's getting paid, which is which is a lot of money for a club like uh, like Sante. You know, he was being linked with the with the Monaco job um, before, I believe, um, and uh, and even the Lyon job. Um, so they've really kind of, you know, pulled out all the stops to get him there, and 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 he's not really doing kind of what you would expect Claude Puel to do, which is to 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 bring that experience and that calm and that stability, especially kind of in a structural and defensive way. Um, He's not been helped by injuries. He's not been helped by a drop-off in form, especially as the the other guys were saying from someone like Kazri, who was so instrumental to to how well they were playing last season. But but really, they have got a competitive squad. You know, we were all talking about how they have a better they had a better squad going into this season than than they did last season, at least on paper. And given how well Club Puel started, um, it's it's pretty shocking, kind of how 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 significantly they seem to have fallen off fallen off the wayside so um so so yeah I think I think Claude Powell is is to blame but you know you can't say at the same time that he's necessarily not trying to to mix things up he's he's dropped senior players for various um various spells of his time so far you know now with Ruffier which I think again probably is the right choice even if the fans and also Ruffier's entourage and Ruffier himself are, are really not very happy about that understandably when you're a you know a club legend and one of the most consistent goalkeepers in in Liga over the last decade but um but it's um it's it's overall it's very disappointing and I think you know unless there's a drastic change soon he he could be he could be could be about to go you know and I it's going to be difficult as well because of how much the board are going to have to fork out in settlement to 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 get rid of him but clearly this is not going as I think everyone expected it to go. So, uh, you know, this losing the derby and potentially dropping into the relegation zone could be could be the final nail in the coffin. I'm not sure it will, 
But, you know, who knows in Liga? And because of that, is the big derby one of the most important games of the season? Has this come at the best time or the worst time, Jake? Oh, I think, I think, I think it's come at the worst time. To be honest, I think the form that that uh, Santetienne have been in recently, you know, and especially after like almost getting back to winning ways, only to be to be denied at the death. Um, plus, you know, your biggest rivals just winning in the, um, you know, having their biggest their their biggest and best performance. Well, for for several years at least, you know, against uh, against Juventus, um, it's it's not come at a good time at all. You would expect Leon to be well up for it, as Jez was saying. Um, at the same time, you know, maybe they'll 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 take their foot off the boil, and it is Leon and it is Rudy Garcia, so we can't quite be sure. But I I I think I think that if you're a Santetian fan, then you're gutted, and especially given um, the upcoming um, the upcoming cup game, because I saw a poll on Twitter from a Saint-Étienne fan site saying that I think it was 58% of fans would rather win the derby than, than beat Wren um, and, you know, get, get a place in the cup final, which is, which I, you obviously you can understand given the bitterness of the rivalry. But I think that also says something about how desperate the situation is now and how they really, really desperately need, uh, need a boost because otherwise, you know, things are looking very bleak indeed. And let's move back on to Leon just before we wrap up this game. Jeremy, do you think there'll be any Champions League hangover going into this game after the high of the Juventus win that might maybe hold them back in this game? I think there could well be. I think, um, you know, it was it was a Wednesday night, wasn't it? I'm going mad now. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, maybe if it had been Tuesday, it gives them an extra day. I think... Um, it's a relatively quick turnaround and I think it probably did take a lot out of them physically and mentally. Um, you know, the, the, it was interesting that the first half was, was very much sort of attack based and second half a lot more defensive. Um, but again, I, I just, I feel like that they've got enough players there that they can sort of mix things around a little bit, you know, bring Kakare in, bring maybe Cherky in. That'd be great to see him, um, you know, unleashed in the derby. So there, there are options there. Um, so I, I think it will affect them a little bit, but um, I still think that if they're maybe concerned that, that they'll run out of steam, I still think they should be capable of building up a lead, enough of a lead that they can then defend sort of the, the last quarter if need be. Um, so it's it's a worry, especially for a team as flaky as Lyon, but it's, it's, you know they, they've got to start this as favourites and be... I think it would be a big shock if they lost this. Okay, let's get your score predictions for this game. Jeremy, I'll start with you. How do you see the big derby? How do you see it finishing? Um, I'm going to go comfort- uh, yeah, comfortable 2-0 win for Lyon. You think, right. Jake, do you think it'll be as easy or do you think Saniatian will really give their all in this game and can maybe give Lyon a good match? Uh, I think they'll give their all. I'm not sure that will get them anywhere, to be honest. So, I think uh, I think Leon. I think I'm going to go for a two-one to Leon, and I think the 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 Sante goal will be a a late consolation after Leon Leon go two up for most of the game. And Thomas, I was positive about Leon before, so I'll be negative, and uh, I'll say a one-all draw. Yeah, I think. 
I think San Etienne have got a wee bit, bit of a chance. I think this game, I know I asked you, Jake, about it. I think it's almost come at the best time because it's a bit of a cliche, but form can go out the window. <laughs> nah, but it's, it's the type of thing where you just kind of turn up and you're like, right, okay, we were crap last week. and that, To us, they weren't even that bad against Rams. But, you know, it's like that way where, okay, we can, we can turn up. Fans are going to be crazy for it. It's almost going to... It's almost the type of game that's like non-contextual. It doesn't seem in relation to any season or or big event. They're massive events in France, and it's the type of thing where you just go into it and you kind of complete everything else that's around it, and you just can bloody go at it for ninety minutes. Which is why I think San Etienne could be in with a wee bit of a chance here, especially if we get a Denny Buanga masterclass. I'm <laughs> gonna go. I'm gonna go with Thomas. I'm gonna say one-one as well. Yeah, I think it might just peter out, but I do think San Etienne. Are going to be in with a chance, Leon? I don't know. I think you're, if you're Leon, you're going and being like, "What the hell happened in Juventus on Tuesday or uh, Wednesday?" And then Despo Angus poking up at your back post, like slamming home a winner or an equaliser or something. Yeah, so I'm going to go one-one draw on that one. I was just going to say, I think we should also consider the um, the kind of off the field distractions potentially going on in Leon at the moment with the, this whole clown gate thing as well. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen that, but. Um, <laughs> But it's uh, but basic essentially, uh, essentially Jean Michel Olas has said that the club are gonna uh, file lawsuits against fans after several Leon fans posted memes um, of uh, of Rudy Garcia um, in dressed up as a clown basically. Um, so not only is there that, but also following the the um, the Juventus game midweek, it's safe to say that um, Thiago Mendes. Uh, wife was was not too happy about her husband uh, not featuring for a single minute and so put a selfie on Instagram of herself made up as a clown so uh, so you know it's it's uh, it's another case after the whole Kimpembe thing last week of of uh, of loved ones of of players getting involved where they probably shouldn't so you know maybe that's going to be a, a a bit of a distraction in the dressing room for the players who knows <laughs> These games can never go without, like, just something random happening before. Do you remember the really awkward videos got put out a couple of days before of uh, Leon had, like, an open training and all the ultras turned up and Salvino was re- really awkwardly, like, slapping them and, like, trying <laughs> to <laughs> hide yeah. yeah. stuff. He went for like, the crocodile hyped. approach. That was brilliant. <laughs> just snapping at them. These games can never go out with just something stupid happening before them, honestly. Uh yeah, no, that's quite funny that play, that fans are actually going to get like sued for it. Um, okay, our another game to look at tonight is Montpellier against Strasbourg. So there's a Kerryans men, the host for this game, currently sit ninth after a little bit of a drop off, and Strasbourg are almost the complete opposite. They're on a bit of an upwards surge at the moment, sitting sixth. So Thomas Montpellier, like I said, have been a little bit off the boil with just one win in their last six games. You saw them last week when they played against Onji. How were they? What's, what's changed from this team that was in such fine form earlier on in the season? Yeah, um, I mean, they were, they were they're fairly poor. Um, it was sort of up to Savanier to, to produce something. Um, and they did have they had maybe one or two chances. Um, but Patel, you know, fair play to him. He's been shocking this season, but he did make a, a pretty amazing save um, and I just keep thinking about Ampelli I, I consider what, what players they have and I wonder maybe they could push higher up the table if they didn't have such a, a pragmatic manager as Desikarian because you've got you know I'm focusing on here Mole Savanier two really really creative players you know Chotard um, but the problem is, is 
that the squad is it's aging or it's aging for a long time um and they just need some new energy i think in there uh so they go into this game not in the best of form um and obviously they come up against a striker side that uh, are better than them at the moment um so it should be a, a an interesting one um to see how how they do do set this up to this set it up as just the usual pragmatism probably um but Strasbourg can can open you up mm. and Thomas Montpellier are a team like you said can be sometimes as much as Derek Adrian has impressed in in the last few years since he's joined the club and whatnot he does have some qualities that hold them back you know quality of his team is way too many draws all the time oh my god man just, <laughs> yeah. just lose or win decide please you can't just always draw 1-1 uh but another thing that really holds them back specifically this season is this like differential between their home and their away form. So for home form this season, if you judged all results by what teams did in front of their own fans, Montpellier would be third. Thomas, do you want to guess where they sit for away form? Uh, third bottom. 16th. What the hell is oh. that about? Like, does that just hold them back? Like, as a team, that can't be sustainable. There's got to be something along the process, along the conveyor belt that's just not working if they can never turn up away from home, Thomas. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's something that has to has to really improve for them um, if they want to, you know, push push higher up the table. Uh, it's difficult because they don't... I mean, they, they, they do funnel chances quite well. And they, if you... Look at the the shots they are conceding. A lot of them are probably from range. So really, that was that was quite um, prevalent in the Andre game. You know, quite. I mean, Andre do shoot from range quite a lot, but um, st- still, um, Montpellier do. You know, they sort of set up in a way that is it, it becomes difficult to to create good opportunities for oppositions. But they just seem to manage to get one or two um, shots that that really can't stop. And then Montpellier, Zakarin doesn't doesn't really react to it enough. He doesn't change the formation. He doesn't swap out a player, put an attacking player as much as I'd like. And it, it's just difficult to to um, understand sometimes. Uh, and you know, you got a player like Savignier. He was, you know, he played one in the Andre game. He was, you know, chipping players. I mean, he's he's a dirty player, um, no doubt about it. Um, but you know, he was part of that Neem team that were just, you know really exciting to watch really rampant and and i was i was having i had really good hopes for him you know coming to my play and he has done well but it just appears that the system around him isn't really geared to what he was previously previously um operating in a neiman it hasn't i would have thought maybe okay maybe zakarin zakarin might change it slightly when savina comes in but he, he hasn't he hasn't done that and it just it doesn't make sense you've got that good of a player um in the team mm. And you're not utilising, you're not putting the best sort of system around him because he is that he is the best player of the team, and you're not putting the best system around him. It just doesn't really make sense to me enough. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to see um, to see Desacarian mix up his system for once because I feel like he's so wedded to the, the to this kind of um, um, three five two, and mm. I just think if you can if you can maybe kind of try a four three three and. Have Savanier playing, uh, playing kind of behind the holy trinity of um, of Laborde, Delort, and Florent Mollet. Then, then, you know, I'd be really interested to see what happens if we if, yeah. if if he makes that adjustment because 
he ends up leaving out players, you know, like because they have been in a poor run of form. I think it was it was Mole that was on the bench for the for the Angers game, yeah. right? And, and and you just think, you know, like if if you're one of one of the the the, the bigger drop off, I think, has been in goals scored this season, as well as kind of the a, a more exposed defensive being more exposed defensively, and unlocking the kind of assist demon that is Savanier and being hit for him to be able to kind of have that freedom to to really pull the strings would would um you know that would really bring the best out of the side because um because yeah they need I think they need to shake something up the way they're going or they're going to risk losing 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 too much ground in the race for for Europa League football yeah but if you, if you do go to that 4-3-3 three, three, then you have to I can't see Hilton playing because that that three that, the, the centre-backs alongside him do cover him um that's true don't yeah. don't see him in, in a two to be yeah. honest yeah so maybe yeah. when he retires um in 2028 the, uh, <laughs> maybe <top>. then <laughs> i think i think um one of the biggest issues is that mendez is injured and mm. you look at um yeah. montpellier's yeah. stats with and without mendez he makes an absolutely massive difference so for the last couple of years it's it's sort of you know i think we've we spoken before about um Saliba and the difference in, in Saint-Étienne stats when he's playing. But Mendes even more so, and obviously over a longer period as well. So I think he's a huge miss. And also, I'm, I might be wrong, but I feel like this is the third season now that Montpellier's form has really dropped off from the first half of the season to the second. Mm. Um, I'm not 100% sure, but that's the feeling I've got. But I agree. I, I think they're a better team than their own coach sort of gives them credit for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. Which is a weird thing to say, but it is true, yeah. Yeah. And they'll be facing a very exciting Strasbourg side in this one. And I've got something to say about their coach that I'll come on to in just a second. But Strasbourg were, you know, they were sitting 16th and, and 17th in, in, as late as in the season as October. They now sit 6th. They're five points off European football. Jeremy, is this just another one of these incredible achievements that we're seeing at the moment in RC Strasbourg? Uh, I think it, I think lots of people give French coaches stick and say there aren't any decent French coaches. And I think it's an insult to quite a few people. But the two that I, I always think about are Guillaume and, and Laure. I think he's doing an absolutely fantastic job. And it's not the most amazing team in the world on paper. There's some decent players there. And I know there's some people... Um, Clinton especially he's a big fan of Ajok personally I, I think he's a little bit overrated but that they are they're sort of a talented group who Laurie gets playing together brilliantly as a collective um, I think Jiku they, I think they made some great signings in the summer in Jiku mm. and Belgarde and I think they're both sort of um, meeting expectations and I think it was just an adjustment period um, in terms of Europe I know that they obviously didn't get very far in it but I think starting the season a little bit earlier and, and adjusting to those extra midweek matches. I think t- it took them a little while to get going. But I, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I, am su- I was surprised looking at the table and seeing that they were as high as they are. But I'm not surprised that they're doing well. And, you know, certainly earlier in the season when it looked like they could be in for a relegation fight, I never really believed that they'd stay down there because I think the team and particularly Laurie are far too talented for that. 
And do you think the situation with Strasbourg at the moment, you know, they have been a team that has had so much success in the last few years, jumping right through the divisions over the last like, eight years, I think. Do you think, obviously, every Strasbourg fan wants to get back into Europe? Who wouldn't? But in the grand scheme of things, would it almost be better for Strasbourg maybe just to miss out on Europe this season and then make a real push next year? Like, how high do you think they could finish, Jeremy, if they had, like, a whole season that wasn't hampered by Europa League football at the start of the season, where they could really just go for it now that they're a wee bit more adjusted to, to league and football? On paper, I don't think they're amongst the sort of five or six best teams in France. But obviously, as, as we're particularly seeing this year, that doesn't necessarily mean anything because there's always going to be a couple of teams that, that struggle, have an off-season, a transition season, depending on... Um, Know which players are raped and pillaged from the pre- by the Premier League in the off season, and how much adjustment needs to be made. So um, I, I I think that if they keep their sort of good structure, their good manager, the good sort of um, background staff, and obviously the the amazing support of the Menor, if they can keep all that together, there's no reason why they can't be challenging for Europa League places um, every season. But um, yeah, on paper, it's it's not in their hands, but um, I think they only need to show a little bit of consistency, which seems to be a word that practically every team in France is allergic to, to, to be genu- <laughs> genuine contenders. And Thomas, Jeremy mentioned a little bit there about this idea of, of French coaches, and you have to say French coaches aren't really that popular at the moment. I think I was, I was thinking through this a bit earlier, and I was trying to think of who's... Who's your French coaches that are in really <clears throat> notable jobs? You have Zinedine Zidane at Madrid. Okay, that's a big one. I'll give you that. But out with that, I think there's one guy managing in Lask in, in Austria's managing. Sabri Lamouchi's at Nottingham. Thierry Henry's at Montreal. But out with that, I don't know if I'm being dumb, but there's not that many French managers right now that are that are really making a name for themselves outside of France. And coming on to that, do you think that Thierry Lorray is probably like the most marketable one to go on, to go on and succeed elsewhere? He's still quite young in the grand scheme of things. I think he's 56, but he's had relative success so far with Strasbourg winning the League 2 Ligue 2 title and winning the Coupe de la Ligue. He's shown that he can win with a team that's not fantastic beating PSG in the final. Uh, beating, didn't he get, oh no, didn't get Gas- the final? You get Gasolek promoted as well. I think he did something yeah, with Gasolek. Yeah, he did, yeah. That's right. You, Thomas, do you know what I mean? Do you think he's the most like marked or the, the one with the most potential at the moment to go and succeed elsewhere? Um, I, no, I want him to stay in France. Uh, I think he's. This is probably. <laughs> I mean, he's been at Strasbourg for probably four years now, and I feel like they are still growing um, as a club back in the, the top flight. And he's basically the perfect manager to keep them in that position. Um, and I think he's probably comfortable with it. Uh, in regards, to, you know. French managers. If you look at some of the, I mean, like like Jess mentioned, you know Guillaume, uh, <clears throat> Guillaume at, at, at Reims. Um, you know Moulin's been doing a good job at Angers for ages, and it's it's interesting to see the actual finances of it because um, I think I think it's it might be Guillaume or Blacar, uh, and Guillaume must be, he's getting paid like twenty five k a month. My God, really? In your, yeah, in euros that is. It's it's some somewhere near close close to that. And if you compare that with, I mean, any other 
top flight league. I mean, I'm I'm sure most managers in the championship are probably getting paid more than that. I mean, that's that's really nothing. Um, and even the even the squads themselves that they're working with, you know, uh, sort of re- can reflect that the same salary as well. And the, a lot of them are just doing quite an underrated job. And it seems like there's a lot of underrated managers that are just sort of. And I think a lot of it is just expected that they just they will perform we'll get a team to perform at a, a certain level at a certain rate but with Strasbourg you know they have it was there was an interesting um uh interview with uh head of recruitment uh Desiree uh, recently and he, he sort of talks about uh how it, they operate a little bit differently to other clubs where they actually don't have a, a sporting director um and it's sort of the president you know him and and the coach Laurie uh it's 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 interesting to see because it seems like when they do focus in on a player, they end up getting them pretty quickly. And they've beat—I know they've beaten RJ to quite a few players recently. You know, Sissoko, uh, Bellegarde, um, and they just have a really good, um, it looks like a really good recruitment style, and they're getting in the right players from you know lower lower teams down, and that they can develop on. And even you know somebody like Kenny Lala, who I mean he did have a pretty um, poor first off the season then enter 2020 and he's um suddenly performing very well for them uh, i think probably he'll be moving away uh, in the summer and he's he's might be aiming towards that with his upturn in, in form mm. and jake why do you think this drought of, of french managers really succeeding outside of france why, why do you think that's come about or, or, or like yeah what do, what do you think the whole situation I think it's been I think it's been something that we've seen for a while. I mean, Rudy Garcia was talking just this week about how you know obviously he was kind of um, bigging up his his record at, um, in Italy. He you know he was saying how you know uh, people in Italy don't even watch Liga and how he was uh, you know the first French manager for for eons to go there and that he won he won his first ten games with Roma and kind of highlighting how you know how much of a positive impact he had um, while he was in Rome. And I, I think it's just something that's happened for a while. Um, the reasoning for that, I'm not too sure. I think, you know, you have other countries perhaps that have kind of more of a, a penchant for producing um, top managers on a regular basis. If you look at look at countries like Portugal that seem to seem to pump out kind of top class managers at a ridiculous rate. And I think if you're, you know, kind of a, a top flight club, you often often you end up looking at, at certain other countries or Italy, for example. Um, and I think France is just a, an under underutilized market. I think in years gone by, maybe there weren't um, beyond the big names, kind of a, the, the, the uh, wealth of decent coaches that we maybe have right now. But, you know, we've, we've named a few, but there's, there's certainly more in Liga. Julien Stéphane being another one. Christophe Gautier is obviously doing, you know, was, did a great job at Saint-Étienne for a long time and is now doing, um, doing tremendously well at Lille um I think maybe France is just a country that kind of tends to go under the radar for for other top flight clubs in in Europe beyond kind of the the huge names your your Wengers your Zidans your Blancs but you know it's um it's it's Ligue 1's game quite frankly because you know we're seeing we're seeing all of these managers stay put and it's it, I think it's really really good for the league mm. I, think I think the focus is more on developing the players and the actual management um, probably resources wise, because you think about the amount of talented players that, that you know the French league do produce, 
Uh, it's probably geared more towards that than developing, you know, strong managerial talent, coaches, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, th- I think, to be honest, a lot of the time, these things happen in almost in like cycles. There was a time when Mourinho came out and then it was like, oh, God, right, okay, we need to go get Portuguese managers because they're the good guys. And then, you know, Andre Villas-Boas came about and they're like, oh, he's, he's the next Mourinho, guys, because look what he did at Porto. I need to go get that. And, and you know, now the, the fashionable thing is getting German managers because they've set up this, I can't remember, there's some, like, school that they set up, and they basically just train managers, and it's like, oh, okay, you get Hassan out of Southampton, and then you get Tuchel at PSG, and, oh, Klopp, look what they had, what he's done. Now, everyone's flocking to the Bundesliga to see these guys that can show all these numbers with their fours and their threes and their twos and their ones and stuff. I think these things just happen in, in trends where everyone wants to go and follow the trend and get a really cool, hip German manager who your friend's not heard about, and you have to explain his tactical <laughs> setup and all this jazz and then you got like a cop and video that comes out and it's like oh you know he doesn't actually use tactics man he's just in their head it's all this just crap that comes about and then people just just jump on the bandwagon to be honest not to say the club and hassan and tuchel are bad managers but you know what i mean it just i feel sometimes these things happen in like trends even though you wouldn't imagine that to be the case um and right now just france aren't in that situation with we're, they're just much better at creating players like for instance a manager like stefan moulin I don't think he'll ever get a job elsewhere. He's just such like a... He's a mom one. <laughs> no, that, but that's the thing. Like, I think he's just so good with a project like it is and developing players and taking them from yeah. the lower leagues. And, and what, I don't, how is he going to go to Everton and do well? You know what I mean? I think you see a lot of managers that because they've been around the game for quite a while or they've, they've developed with a certain team. I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't got the stats to hand, but if you look at, you know, across the European um, top five divisions, the actual sort of period of time that a manager is at a club is probably longer in France than it is um, in other in other leagues and yeah. you know Milan's mm. a great example of that he's basically stayed at the club he you know he, he, he was a former player of the club and um, a lot of these small small outfits use the you know former people or the region uh, for example and those play, those people just stay there because you know it's a comfortable position to be in um, and you know they seem to enjoy themselves yeah I don't know. that's the thing like I was going to say that point earlier actually because I was going to say it about him and I was always going to say about like Galtier when he was at Sunny Etienne for what eight years seven years like that just doesn't doesn't really happen a lot of the more like money leagues and especially how everything's going English these days or everyone everyone wants to play in the Premier League because it's where you make the most money but it's also where managers just get chopped and, and killed after five games and not winning the big one for me was um was like Frank De Boer you know what massive how can you get any better footballing stock as like an upcoming manager great player did well at Ajax went to Crystal Palace or something lost his first five mm. matches okay that's not good and they sacked him like how you wouldn't hear about that in France you wouldn't just hear about a guy just getting unless it was Bordeaux but you wouldn't just hear about that guy just getting <laughs> lynched and, and kicked off within 20 minutes or non-tarsely for that case but uh, you know you just, you just don't hear about that uh, okay I swear at one point we were talking about Montpellier Strasbourg <laughs> I think so <laughs> uh, right let's get your uh, score prediction for this one Jake I'll start with you how, how do you see this game going between Montpellier and Strasbourg two accomplished managers in the French game with Laurie and Der Zakarian well be- purely because of of how I think they have identical goals scored and goals conceded, Montpellier and Strasbourg. And purely based on that and the fact that it's at the Mosson and their, their home form is so good, I think Montpellier are going to hold out for a draw against informed Strasbourg. So one all, I'm going to say. One all. Jeremy, what do you think? 
I was going to go one all as well um, <laughs> to be different. And so I was tempted to go for a Strasbourg win until you pointed out Mon- Montpellier's really good um, home form. So I'll go two all. Right. And uh, Thomas, break up for us. Um, I, I, completely, I did write down some, some notes a couple of weeks ago, but um, I forgot to uh, to mention it. But I think this could be uh, one all to the last minute and a certain <laughs> Kamara pops up with his head. And, just <laughs> it. and you know, he, um, I think it was about a month ago he renou- announced this will be his last, uh, last, last season. And he is a legend at Montpellier. I mean, he's the only player to have scored in 15 consecutive league seasons. I'm not sure if he scored this this year, but uh, this season. But uh, hopefully, he can make it 16 in this in this game. And he's he's um, he's now the most capped player. That was recent. I think it's 430, 31, 32. Um, and he he's always smiling. You know, he's always there to speak to fans after the game, taking pictures, signing autographs, and he's a, a very you know, a great professional. Anybody who speaks about him always says he's a he's a really a great guy and a great professional. And I just hope he, when he retires, he's, he's somewhere at the club, just walking around smiling at people because he's a he's a great great player and a great you know statement of a of a of a good you know good club and and uh, professional professional footballer. I know. I hope he does get that that just that last goal to to yeah, close it all off for him. He does um, backflips. <laughs> Which is crazy. He's 37 years, years old these days. Might break his back. Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna go. Don't know. Montpellier are really good at home. That's I think. I think the only team that beat them at home this season is PSG, and they do draw a lot, but they're not playing well recently. And Onj beat them. I do like me some Strasbourg. I don't know. I think I'll go two on Strasbourg. I just think they look quite good at the moment, and they they had their chances against. I think it was Leon a couple of weeks back when it was one one, and Giku should have scored like the ninety fifth minute because they had a head at the back post. I don't know. I just think Strasbourg are a much more exciting team to watch at the moment, and if Montpellier don't have their guys hitting uh, on all cylinders, it could go the way of the Alsatians. Yeah, I'm gonna go Strasbourg. I'm gonna go two one Strasbourg upset it. Um, <clears throat> okay, and that wraps us up. Thank you very much for listening. If you're looking for more information on French football in English, you can find it on the website at getfootballnewsfrance.com. You can find all our content and our articles and our, all the previous podcasts, just if you want to listen in about how bad Amiens have been this season. You can also find us on Twitter at GFF. In. And one last thing before we finish off, this has been a big thing coming from Get Football and, and Get Football News France and Germany and Spain and Italy. And this is a periodical from the, the, the group, the company as a whole, called The Modern Footballer. And this is going to be a periodical coming out a couple of times uh, throughout the year. The first version just got released. It's 100 pages, 40 thousand words and includes player profiles, emerging talents, rounds up of, of major stories and in-depth analysis of the different situations at some of the biggest and smallest clubs throughout Europe. You can get them in a digital form and a physical form with prices starting at just £3.50. £3.50, Jake, what could you get for £3.50? That, that's, a, that's, that's a cup of coffee at your Parisian Starbucks, isn't it? <laughs> Mate, you'd be lucky to get a coffee for that. <laughs> 
and we had our very own Thomas Wiseman involved in it in some way, and you just won't guess what he was writing about in the modern <laughs> footballer. I, I I was wondering, I was like, wow, Thomas got in there. That's so that's so cool, man. That he's writing in a, in a periodical. Must be something to do with like I don't know Strasbourg's rise or the excellence of <laughs> oh, of Halle Hodge's nonce or, or you know or something to do with the headband that Alan San Maximan wore in his <laughs> yesteryear at Nice. What were you writing about, Thomas? Baptiste Sans Maria. <laughs> the four by four. Um, yeah, I mean, I was. It was weird to think maybe. Oh. Maybe Deschamps calls him up, but uh, it's not going to happen. But I can't actually think of maybe. Is has there been a better informed French midfielder this season? Um, Donbley's okay. not been great. Tolisso's not playing. Yeah, and Kunku has been very good. He hasn't played the majority yeah, of the season. True. It's not not really the same position, but no, that's, true. Think of, that's true. That is true. In that position, I, I don't think he won't get called up. But um, he's been uh, pretty. Pretty immense for for Andre, but <laughs> losing him. Uh, well, that could be another story for another time. <laughs> we'll come on to that later in the season. We'll need to do that because you know we did that a couple of weeks back when we tried to like find new players from Montpellier in their yeah. centre halves and did a little transfer story. I think Pierre Paul was on that time. We'll have to do how do you how do you replace Baptiste Sassoli <laughs> at some point? We'll need to do that in a couple of weeks. Actually, that'd be fun. Try to find someone who you could get in like League 2 or something or that, or, or, or someone that's like getting relegated from, from this year. But we'll do that a wee bit later on in the season and see who we can find to replace the guy who's that's, obviously leaving in the summer. That's one of the great things about Angers. Every year they seem to get rid of the player that you think, well, how are they going to replace him? And every year they do. Yeah, but this 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 time, normally that player's like been one season or two. Santamu's been here for, he's been there for a good few seasons and he's, <laughs> because the defence is getting older and, the sort of re- regressing, he's had to step up further and further, um, and he's sort of he's definitely the most important player. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see what uh, Pico comes up with. That wraps us up. Thank you very much for listening once again. I have been Lewis McParlin. I've been joined by Jake Smales, Jeremy Smith, and Mister Thomas Andre Wiseman. We'll see you next week. I don't know what we'll be chatting. I'm trying to think about the big games. There's no European football or anything next week. So we'll be back to your standard league in action. But you know we'll love it. I'll be here. Thomas will be here. Someone else will be alongside us. But yeah, that wraps us up. Thank you very much for listening. And enjoy your weekend. See you after.